Put knowledge to work and grow your business with CIT. From transportation to healthcare to manufacturing, CIT offers commercial lending, leasing, and treasury management services for small and middle market businesses. Learn more at CIT.com. Put knowledge to work. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Joe Weisenthal, and I'm sad to say that this week uh, my co-host Tracy Alloway is uh, out. She's currently traveling, so it's just going to be me this week. So this is where normally she would interject something, and then we'd have like some banter, but I'm not really good at solo banter, so I'm not even going to try to say anything funny or coy. I'm just going to jump right to the topic Unless you've been uh, living under a rock, you've probably heard about the incredible frenzy that we've seen of late in uh, crypto assets, cryptocurrencies, whether we were talking about Bitcoin or Ethereum or ICOs or all these things, just nonstop incredible moves these days. So it really is sort of, uh, you know, it's time that we talked about them here. And so today on the podcast, we have a guest who's very well positioned to talk about just what the heck is going on in this area. His name is Chris Berniski. He's the blockchain products lead at ARK Invest, which is a uh, asset management company that has ETFs. And they actually are one of the few firms that actually has exposure to uh, Bitcoin. So he is going to help us uh, sort out just what's going on right now? What is where we are? Is this a bubble? What's going on? Why are people so excited about this area? Chris, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, uh, first of all, before we get into this, what is Ark Invest? Ark Invest is an investment manager. Uh, we were started in January of 2014, actually the same month that Ethereum was announced by Vitalik. Right now, we're approaching about a billion in assets. But the key to Ark is taking the open source software development paradigm and applying it to Wall Street investment management and research. So whereas most uh, investment managers keep their trades and their research close to their chest, we actually share all of that um, because it allows our theses to evolve more quickly and it imbues trust uh, within us. Tell us about your products. You have ETFs. What are they? We primarily have ETFs, um, and they focus solely on disruptive innovation. And as a thematic investment uh, manager, they focus on different themes. So, for example, we have our next generation internet ETF, which has uh, themes like machine learning, cloud computing, Internet of Things, and crypto assets. And so, for example, in that ETF, Bitcoin is actually a number one position. Uh, and then we've got other ETFs like genomics or industrial innovation, so on and so forth. We do have a uh, fintech mutual fund in Japan, and we do some separately managed accounts. So we're a broad purpose investment manager. Now, what's your background? Your title? Sorry, I keep forgetting the name of your title, but that's probably because it's unusual. You know, it's not most people. Blockchain products, products lead? lead. You can think of me as the only buy side analyst to to focus on crypto assets with a flavor of. Uh, business development in there. So how did you become the blockchain products lead? Where? What's your background? How did you become the person who would uh, analyze, these, uh, analyze these assets? Well, as with much of life, it was uh, chance. Right. Uh, but uh, in college in 2011, 2012, uh, Bitcoin crossed the radar. I was a student at Stanford at the time, pretty tech-focused environment. And 
started exploring uh, this brave new world. And that took me down a bit of a rabbit hole. Uh, I remember looking with friends at mining equipment on Craigslist and these racks of servers. And we briefly flirted with the idea of having a mining operation. But, you know, at the time, I didn't dig deeply enough to dissociate Bitcoin from what was the major application at the time, which was the Silk Road. And so mm. I interpreted much of what was going on as um, illegal and uh, didn't necessarily have the courage at the time to leap in. Uh, forgot about Bitcoin for a few years, joined ARC in 2014. And at that time, uh, our director of research had invested in Bitcoin early on. It was something that we knew was going to be important. And so picked up the ball and ran with it. And uh, that eventually led me here. You characterize yourself as a buy-side analyst, and that raises an interesting question, which is that when you hear people talk about any of these uh, crypto assets, they're like, yeah, but you know, how, are, how do you value them? What is the fundamental value? You know, it's, with most things we have, uh, you know, with stocks, obviously, people have developed all kinds of models for valuing a stock based on earnings and cash flow and growth and with commodities, the cost of mining versus the demand and with currencies, things like purchasing power parity. And so all these established models that exist for the, uh, you know, the asset classes that we've been familiar with for a long time. And then people look at something like Ethereum or Bitcoin or, you know, now there, you know, there are hundreds of these uh, coins out there and they don't have any idea how to even go about saying, oh, this is a fair price or this is undervalued or this is overvalued. So how do you think about that question? It's, it's a great question. And if we think of this as a new asset class, it follows that we will have new valuation techniques. And it's a big part of actually what I spend my time focusing on. I think of it as a combination of current utility value plus discounted expected utility value. Um, and to give you an example of what I mean by that, we can take Bitcoin. Um, a lot of people talk about people using Bitcoin for remittances. And I know of a number of companies using Bitcoin for remittances whose volumes are growing 10 to 20% month over month, which is hyper growth. If we take the remittances market, it's a roughly $500 billion market, and assume at some future date, uh, Bitcoin will take 10% of that market. Mm -hmm. Certainly at that point, the market will be a little bigger, but we'll run with this for now. So 10% of a $500 billion market means Bitcoin would have to store $50 billion in value in that year. Now, you have to also slap a velocity on it, velocity of money, right. for how often the asset's going to turn over. So velocity of the US dollar is roughly five. So we what divide- does that mean? What, what is the five? What, what's being measured here? Uh, for the velocity, it is the number of times that currency is turning over per year to facilitate the Got transaction okay. for goods and services. So if we say Bitcoin's going to be roughly five as well, we take that $50 billion in value transfer that Bitcoin will facilitate, divide it by five right. to get $10 billion in stored value that year that Bitcoin will need to have in order to facilitate that use case. So... Just to back up, yes. If you wanted to do fifty billion worth of remittances, mm -hmm. based on the sort of some expectation of how many times a typical Bitcoin would move in a year, you would need Bitcoin would need to be worth ten billion. Would just need to, to facil store. facilitate that much to facilitate that much of a market. Yes, and only for the remittances use case. Right, right. right. 
Um, and then what we can do is we can start to stack different use cases, right? We look at the global financial gold market, roughly two and a half trillion. If Bitcoin were to take 1% of that, that means it would have to store 25 billion in value for that use case. And so you can see how we can start to stack these different requirements for stored value to get an idea of how uh, what I call the network value of mm-hmm. Bitcoin, which is analogous to, to market cap for stocks. And uh, the reason I, I, I say current utility value versus discounted expected utility value is the market price of this asset is comprised of what people are currently using it for plus the expectations for its use. And so for any expectations of its use, we have to discount that back to the present. So right. so combining these two values, we can get the current market price of these assets. Interesting. Real quickly, your publicly each uh, traded ETFs do have exposure to Bitcoin. How do you get that? We get it through Grayscale's Bitcoin Investment Trust, um, which is a trust that tracks to roughly one-tenth the value of Bitcoin. Now, with the way that the trust is set up, um, at least the publicly traded part, which is uh, ticker GBTC, trades OTCQX, over-the-counter markets, it doesn't have a functionality to meet supply and demand. And so it tends to trade at a significant premium, which is something investors should be aware of. So that has grown to be um, a number one position in two of our ETFs, our uh, internet ETF, ARKW, and our overall innovation ETF. Put knowledge to work and grow your business with CIT. From transportation to healthcare to manufacturing, CIT offers commercial lending, leasing, and treasury management services for small and middle market businesses. Learn more at CIT.com. Put knowledge to work. All right, let's switch gears for a second because, you know, people are maybe have heard of Bitcoin for a while and there's obviously been tons said about it. In it's the old man years. in the room. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the thing that everyone is talking about and curious about and asking questions about these days are these things called ICOs. And that's really what I want to talk about. Um, initial coin offerings, uh, it sounds like IPOs, but it's one letter different. Regrettably. What? What are they? You can think of them as the combination of crowdfunding, yeah. which uh, we all learned about through Kickstarter, um, plus blockchain technology. So uh, Kickstarter coincidentally started the same year that Bitcoin launched, 2009. And that taught us about how we can use capital from the crowds to fund projects. And then blockchain technology basically allows the decentralized storing and transfer of value. And what we've been having at the intersection of these two is assets that are similar to Bitcoin, but perform different use cases. Uh, so Ethereum is something that we will we will end up talking about, I'm sure. So that's a decentralized world computer. Um, and it uses a blockchain in order to facilitate uh, value transfer in order to pay for that computer. And in order to get that project off the ground, there was a crowd sale. So because blockchains are really good at storing and transferring this value, people are natively using that functionality to bootstrap capital for their projects. So let's walk through how, what kind of project it would be and how you would raise, one would go about raising money through an ICO. Let's 
you know, create a fictitious example or a real example. We can use a real right, example. Yeah, let's do that. A few weeks back, I participated in a crowd sale uh, known as Aragon. And what Aragon does, I, we'll walk through sort of my yeah. process, right? When I'm Perfect. When I'm figuring out, okay, am I going to participate in this? First thing I do is, okay, what is the use case? Uh, is this a viable use case? What Aragon does, you're going to have to hang with me here. No um, judgment. I'm just, <laughs> just going to listen. Aragon uh, is a platform on top of Ethereum, uh, uses Ethereum's decentralized world computer, and it basically provides um, an out-of-the-box system in order for corporations to run on top of Ethereum. So it provides cap table, oh, um, accounting, uh, payroll management, things like that. And so what it's going to be used for long term is facilitating decentralized autonomous organizations. So Ethereum is a basically is a crypto. It's a current cryptocurrency, but crypto it has commodity. all crypto commodity. Uh, that has all this, you called it a decentralized world computer yes. upon which you can run new applications exactly. and companies and stuff. And you participated in the initial coin offering of a company that runs on top of Ethereum whose business is going to be facilitating other companies to run on top of Ethereum. Yes. The only thing I would change in what you said, you got it exactly correct, is replacing company with protocol. The, okay. These aren't they, right. they're not companies in that they're not generating cash flows necessarily. They're mm. facilitating through software, distributed software. And so Aragon is not a company, it's a protocol is your protocol. Does that mean that there's not like a corporate entity associated with it? Now, this is something of experimentation. Um, different projects are uh, experimenting with having foundations mm -hmm. or, or different um, entities that won't necessarily classify as a cash-generating company um, in order to s support the development of the protocol. But there's not going to be you know, quarterly uh, right. earnings calls on revenue and earnings and EBITDA and all these things. That was step one. So that's evaluating... Long term, do I think this is going to be a viable project? Then look into the team. Great pair of uh, developers behind uh, this project. And then we get more into logistics. And in order to participate in a lot of these sales, you have to send either Bitcoin or Ether to an address. And uh, let, let's say we're using Ether in this example. So what I'm doing there is I am sending Ether that I have, which stores value, right? I'm sending it to an address that lives on Ethereum's blockchain. And in depositing that Ether in that address, basically that address records, okay, this other address, which represents Chris, is entitled to a certain number of these units right. of Aragon, uh, which is the ticker ANT. And so in that process, they're able to accept in mass capital right. um, from the outside world that is then programmatically exchanged into shares of their of their new protocol. These okay, so now you have these uh, coins from the in Aragon. What are they? What do you do with them? What are they for? How do they create value for you? Um, well, there there are those two aspects of value, right? The current utility value yeah. versus the discounted expected right. utility value. Um, the uh, the reason for Aragon, w one of the main reasons for Aragon to have a native token is actually uh, to facilitate a decentralized court. Um, so if you have these 
organizations, right, running on top of Aragon, let's say there's disputes. Um, yes. Since they're decentralized organizations, they won't necessarily go to the courts as we think of them. Right. Um, they will actually go to the masses and let the masses decide upon what is the truth or not the truth, what is right or wrong, and pay out using the native Aragon token to the people that perform that service. So we've gotten very abstract here. Yeah, no, I know, but that's right because you know I think we're it's 2017 and everyone's got an open mind and people realize so it's okay we can keep going down this, but it is pretty abstract. It that's it, right. it is abstract. Um, I, now these courts are they like when you say the people are going to decide, are there going to be literal votes? Is there people on a jury and who will participate and or is I, it like something like? The, the algorithm decides. De so decentralized votes, right? Yeah. Um, a broad set of actors that anyone can, can participate in. If you um, have the token. Yes, if you're involved within the network, you will get okay. paid out in the token. Okay. Um, for, for voting correctly. Okay. Um, and so what happens over time is as more organizations build on top of or uh, Aragon, there will be more demand for that token for these conflict resolution use cases. But there's also, because this is open source software, it can evolve over time. There can be further use cases that are built in that require the token. And you need, so let's say I'm a business. And so, you know, let's think, go to the very end consumer, some business, and they're like, oh, this seems, because right there, you said that Aragon is positioning itself as a service to businesses, mm -hmm. right? What's a kind of business that might benefit from this? Um, well, this idea of a decentralized autonomous organization. Oh, so it's not like right? a typical entity as we get it now. It would be a sort of new kind of well, organization. It's, um, it is taking your typical organization. Let's take an insurance company. Yeah. Right? So an insurance company is really a number of policies and procedures. Right, right. right. A number of if this, then that statements. Mm -hmm. That's what claims management is. And what's happening is... We are having um, these processes be written in software. So you can actually have a waterfall right. of decisions, right? right? Um, if, let's say, if Chris misses his flight, um, pay him $30. If he doesn't miss his flight, he doesn't get paid anything. But it can become more yeah. complex than that, more conditional. And so these organizations, these processes are being written in code. And the reason it's called the decentralized autonomous organization is just as we have autonomous vehicles, these organizations are expected to, in part, run themselves. And so in running themselves, they need to be on top of a platform that helps facilitate that and interfaces beneath that with Ethereum, which is you know, providing the compute right. power to process all of these, these decisions. Now, here's a question I have that also is pretty cool. Right now, there's clearly a lot of, uh, I think when I look at it, a lot of speculative fast money coming into the space. People who are looking for to make a get rich fast, which is not necessarily an indictment because they've always that's always part of any industry. So it doesn't necessarily mean bubble. I don't know. But there's clearly just a lot of people looking for flips, looking for trades. Two questions. A... Is anyone actually using these tokens yet in a or in, do any of these entities actually exist where there's a real ecosystem for these tokens or is it still all in basically in the trading realm? 
Uh, actually, that's my first question. You know, are there any saying, oh, this is really, here's an organization or here's a protocol and people are really using it? Um, a lot of these teams have what are called test nets, where they have what you could think of as a minimum viable protocol um, that's in development. Just as, for example, with the genomics company, right? Something that's gone public. Right, right. They're running it through the process, getting it to the end market, the end consumer. And for uh, Ethereum and the apps, decentralized apps that are being built on top of it or protocols, a lot of those do not have mainstream use as of yet. As you said, um, there's a lot of discounted expected utility value or speculative value to these assets. But what's key right now for me when I look at something like Ethereum the users are the developers. Right. It's it's not a, a mainstream application. My mom or sure. grandma is not going to be using it. It's the developers, and the developers, because this space is so young, um, are the ones that are building it out. You have a lot of people starting to talk about this as Internet 3.0. Um, it took a while. Uh, I mean, the Internet had its origins in 1960 with packet switching. So it takes a while to build these things out. Right, sure. right now... We have mostly developers using Ethereum. We've got a lot of mainstream use cases for Bitcoin, I would say, increasingly so. Um, And over time, there will be more mainstream users, but right now there are definitely mainstream speculators. I I think that's very well put. So there are mainstream speculators, sort of everyday people, or, you know, even not many everyday people, but certainly people savvy enough to, like, figure out how to get in. The geeks speculating, but nothing really, you know... Basically, all of these projects are still in the the infancy in terms of actual uses. Everything is largely in its infancy. I mean, if we go back in time, Satoshi Nakamoto released the Bitcoin white paper in late 2008. So the whole movement's not even a decade old. Right. Um, no, it's, it's early. And, and, and you raised a good point uh, where speculation lays the foundation for innovation. When we look at, you know, the railroad boom or when we look at um, the tech and telecom boom, yeah. we had a fiber glut. People built things out way too much. They got ahead of themselves. And that's OK. Um, it's, it's a predictable pattern we've seen over time. Another question I have is, could you get into a situation in which um, the speculators discourage actual usage? In other words, it's so it's perceived as being expensive. Let's say, you know, I, I'm trying to th- let's say there was something more. I know that there are some of these uh, like these ones that are uh, trying to build prediction markets mm-hmm. based on top of Ethereum, which is something you've been looking into things. I, well, I you know trying to do my research, but I'm interested. In, I've always been interested in prediction markets, and I think you know it's an interesting idea, and I miss. And I wish I in trade were still around and some of these sites. But on the other hand, like, do I really want to be, uh, let's say I wanted to get involved in that. Do I really want to pay up to get involved in this uh, prediction market or put my tokens at risk if the tokens keep soaring in price and I'd be better off just holding them? Mm-hmm. Um, so really quick, the prediction market thing, that's uh, partially what underlies Aragon. Prediction market to resolve disputes for companies. Um, now, in terms of the value of these tokens actually being debilitating to yeah. the underlying utility of the protocol, um, it's something I've been talking about with Joel Monegro a lot. Um, Who's that? Joel Monegro. So he was the blockchain lead at Union Square Ventures. Okay. Um, clearly yeah. a reputable firm. Uh, and one of our concerns is exactly as you said, when you look at Ethereum right now, for example, the native 
token for Ethereum, Ether, the more that goes up in price, the more expensive it is in some ways to use the network. And so there needs to be a way, um, and Ethereum has tried to solve this with a dynamic exchange rate for the units that you pay to use mm. um, its, its world computer called gas. So people are working on ways to dissociate um, the rise in value of the token from actually using the underlying network. So in other words, you don't want to have a situation where, let's say, you know, going back to what's the dispute, what's the ICOU participation? Aragon. Aragon. So let's say it costs X amount of, what's the unit called? Is it just called an Aragon? ANT. All right, let's say uh, it costs X amount of ANT for this dispute resolution mechanism. You don't want a situation in which suddenly the value goes up 5x and it's suddenly 5x more expensive. Exactly. So you want to be able to create a protocol so that the price drops accordingly with the increase in value. Exactly. Now, what's what's nice about these things um, is as they accrue value, they do bring new people on board, right? And there's more capital right. um, in order to, to, to fund, the, fund the protocol development. So it is a balance, um, but you struck at the heart of something that does concern me. And and when we when we think of how the VC world exists, right, VCs allocate capital for the long term right. in order to help these teams build out. If we have too much capital sloshing back and forth between these different protocols, that may actually hurt the value of what's being built here. So this is something that's that's under development, and I think teams are really focused on given the recent rise in speculation. All right. Well, uh, Chris Berniski of uh, ARK Invest, thank you so much. This is a fascinating sort of uh, sci-fi world, and I think, uh, you know, is certainly very eye-opening to me. I've done a little bit of uh, research into this, but hearing you describe the layers upon layers and new kinds of entities, new kinds of mechanisms is uh, fascinating. And regardless of whether we're in a bubble or whatever, and I hate using that word because when people, me when media people use the word bubble, they're always wrong. But um, it's still very intriguing to watch. So thank you very much for coming on. Brave new world. Yeah, exactly. That'll do it for this episode of the Odd Lots podcast because uh, Tracy isn't here. There's no point for us to uh, have any banter at the end. So uh, thanks for listening. I'm Joe Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart. You can find Tracy on Twitter at Tracy Alloway. Our wonderful producer, Sarah Patterson, on Twitter at Sarah Pat with two Ts. And Chris, are you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter as well. What's your handle? ARK Blockchain. ARK Blockchain. Check them out. He uh, tweets a bunch of fascinating stuff about this space, and you'll probably learn a lot. Thanks for listening. Put knowledge to work and grow your business with CIT. From transportation to healthcare to manufacturing, CIT offers commercial lending, leasing, and treasury management services for small and middle market businesses. Learn more at CIT.com. Put knowledge to work.